Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, December 27th. Susan Page is with us, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today, among other things here at Year's End. She's been watching Liz Cheney's book tour and what it might mean for next year's election. Cheney is not ruling out a third-party presidential run, for example. Susan has been watching President Biden grapple with and participate in the war in the Middle East, We'll discuss the latest on that complicated dance of his. And Susan has been watching the Republican primary campaigns take shape. For those of you who've been taking a holiday break from the news, you may have missed a potentially big story for the 2024 presidential race. A poll came out in New Hampshire just a few days ago with the primary there less than month, a month away now that showed Nikki Haley would be just about tied there with Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup, just three points behind with the four-point margin of error the poll cites. That assumes, though, that the other candidates were to drop out by then. But this is a continuation of a trend that Haley was already celebrating in a campaign appearance a few weeks ago. Listen. Donald Trump has started to attack me. A couple of days ago at a rally, he said, I don't know what this Nikki Haley surge is all about. Do you want me to tell you what it's about? It's a new poll that came out in New Hampshire. It's got Trump 44, Haley 30. We're surging. And if Trump 44, Haley Haley 30 doesn't actually sound that good, a 14-point gap, that was enough for Haley to sound triumphant then. Now it's just a three-point gap in a hypothetical one-on-one matchup if this poll from the Koch brothers' conservative political universe is to be believed. So let's discuss with Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today and author of books including Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power, and The Matriarch, Barbara Bush, and the Making of an American Dynasty. Susan, Happy New Year. Thanks for giving us some work time on the holiday week. Welcome back to WNYC. Hey, Brian. It's great to be with you. Since we always have to take polls with a few tablespoons of salt these days, do you believe those numbers? Is there really a Nikki Haley surge in New Hampshire? Well, I don't necessarily believe a single poll by uh, an advocacy group. I think that's a little dangerous. And also, we won't have a a head-to-head contest between Trump and Haley in New Hampshire. But there is no denying that Nikki Haley is doing pretty well. If you look at the uh, average of statewide polls, of recent statewide polls in in New Hampshire by 538.com, Trump's at 44.1 and Haley's at 25.7. Now, 19 points may sound like a big gap, but it's much closer than things have been there up to this point. And if you look at Chris Christie, he's at 11.1. So if Chris Christie got, who's been an anti-Trump candidate, Say he got out of the race before the New Hampshire vote and endorsed Haley and all of his voters went to Haley. All of them would not go to Haley, but let's say they would. That puts Haley within striking distance of Donald Trump in a serious way at 36.8%. So this is a uh, 
this has been an interesting phenomenon. Uh, Nikki Haley has done what Ron DeSantis has failed to do, which is to survive and prosper in a primary contest that is still, of course, dominated by Donald Trump. Since we always have to look at who paid for a poll as well, sometimes questions are written to produce a certain outcome desirable to the sponsor, as I'm sure most of our listeners know. I see that this poll does come from the Coke-backed American for Prosperity Action. That's not Coke the Soda. That's Coke the Coke Brothers. Uh, The conservative Coke brother political universe is maybe above all the fossil fuels lobby. Does Coke World want Nikki Haley more than Donald Trump, if you happen to know? Yes, they do. They've they've publicly put their political arm uh, behind uh, Nikki Haley. And they've been uh, they haven't been uh, big Trump back- backers before. So not a big surprise. But it was uh, it was they have a big uh, kind of grassroots political operation that I, we think if Nikki Haley does well, uh, they'll deserve some of the credit. And the actual numbers with the actual current field are Trump, 45 percent, Haley, 32 percent in New Hampshire. But let's talk more about the Chris Christie factor. Uh, He is the most explicitly anti-Trump candidate, and he's third at 9 percent is what I saw. You were citing 11 percent, even a little better in a recent poll. So a big question now from an anti-Trump perspective is, should Christie drop out and endorse Haley before New Hampshire votes? Any indication that he might, since the reason for being for his campaign, at least as he sounds to most people, uh, seems less about getting himself elected and more about stopping the insurrectionist from getting reelected? Right. He's, that's been his stated purpose. And he's been the most frontal in criticizing uh, Trump in, in ways that Nikki Haley has been unwilling to do, although she has been somewhat critical on occasion of, of Donald Trump. Uh, and he does say he was he's running against Trump. That's his agenda. That leaves the question, so if it's most helpful for him to get out of the race before New Hampshire and endorse Haley, will he do it? He says no, uh, but so maybe he won't. And, you know, politicians uh, do run because they, uh, you know, like to see their names on ballots. They like to do well in elections. Elections are mercurial things, especially in the New Hampshire primary. So he can hold on to hope that he'll do better uh, than expected. But the fact is, it is not possible to imagine a world in which this Republican Party nominates Chris Christie for president. It is possible to imagine a world, difficult but not impossible, to imagine a world in which this Republican Party might nominate Nikki Haley. And that is the pressure that Chris Christie is going to face for the next few weeks. Yeah. And to the point you were just making, um, the clip of Paley that we just played is about the most critical we ever hear her get of Trump. She criticized him for criticizing her there, (laughs) not for anything he's ever done. And people wonder if she can ever fully break through without that. Do you know if there's a strategy or a debate within the Haley camp as to when or a calculation uh, as to if to break that barrier? So I, the, the Nikki Haley people believe they cannot, it should not fully break with Trump because Trump is, this is the, the Trump party. This, he commands the loyalty of most Republican voters. Uh, so you're in dangerous territory if you take him on uh, in the kind of direct and extremely critical way that Chris Christie has. But what she's 
tried to do is make the argument. She's she's made the argument that uh, she says Donald Trump did some good things as president. Donald Trump gave her some important foreign policy experience when he was president by making her the UN ambassador. Um, she says uh, she 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 says she understands the appeal that uh, that Trump policies have for voters, but she says that Trump has been a chaotic leader and that electing Trump again or choosing Trump again as the party's nominee will make it them less likely to appeal to less likely to win the general election and more likely to have the kind of chaos that a lot of Americans are are pretty exhausted by. And after New Hampshire comes South Carolina, where Nikki Haley was governor. Have you seen polling from there yet? Um, I keep meaning to look it up and I, I haven't gotten to it. Presumably her only path would be to do well in New Hampshire, whether it was first or a meaningful second, and then win her home state, and that that momentum sets her up for a competitive Super Tuesday, which comes after that. But if she can't win her own home state, that narrative never takes shape. Is she more popular in New Hampshire than in her own home state of South Carolina? She is. Uh, And New Hampshire, of course, is a friendlier state for non-Trump Republicans than is South Carolina, where Trump is very popular. If you look at at recent statewide polls in South Carolina, again, these are from 538.com, Trump is at 50.7% and Haley is at 21.8%. So Trump is beating her by two to one. And Trump has, Trump was there uh, in the middle of the summer on the 4th of July. He got a huge crowd in South Carolina, 50,000 people was the estimate. He's got the backing of the governor and the senator and half of the House members. Um, he is in a formidable position in South Carolina. But, you know, and, and I think you'd have to say Trump is a likely Republican nominee, but uh, things happen when voters start to vote. That's why we reporters love the time when the votes actually come. Maybe Trump does less well than expected in Iowa. Maybe Nikki Haley manages to to win New Hampshire. That would be just a huge event. Then maybe you have a fight in South Carolina and she lives to fight on March 5th when we have Super Tuesday. That's a lot of ifs, but it's not impossible. Um, Susan, you've been following Liz Cheney's book tour, the ultimate never Trump Republican who co-chaired the January 6th committee in Congress. She told this story, for example, on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert during this tour tour earlier this month, uh, maybe a too-little-known moment from January 6th itself. Listen. He was handed a note saying that there had been a civilian who'd been shot at the entrance to the House chamber, and we had a White House uh, witness who testified that they saw that note sitting on the table in front of him in his dining room as he watched the violent uh, attack on television. I mean, that's that level of depravity is not something that we can we can simply ignore and walk away from. So, Susan, if if that is an evidence of him participating in the insurrection, I don't know what is. Do you think this book tour and so much media for Liz Cheney might be playing into whatever Nikki Haley surge is happening? Well, well maybe. Um, you know, I think when you think about. Liz Cheney, one one thing to remember is who she is. She is the daughter of a Republican vice president. She is a member of a very prominent Republican family. She was in the congressional leadership until uh, uh, she became a crusader uh, on January 6th, a crusader against Donald Trump and against what happened on January 6th. So she's had a, 
remarkable journey. And she also, she, she like Chris Christie and like some Democrats say, it's crucial to democracy to not elect Donald Trump president again. And she does it from that very particular standing uh, that she has. I, I have to say the thing that surprised me in the interview that I did with her about her new book, which continues to be on uh, the New York Times bestseller list, is that she said she was she had basically given up on the Republican Party. She was interested in trying to form a new conservative party. That is, as we know, a very difficult thing to do. And most interestingly, that she was willing to consider going on the no labels ticket. You know, that's that ticket of that promises, that's a group that promises to nominate a centrist Republican and a centrist Democrat uh, to run for a president and vice president uh, next year in the 2024 election. And they're working on getting on the ballot in key states. And that is a um, effort that Democrats believe could do a lot to reelect, to, to elect Donald Trump to a second term, could hurt Joe Biden, because it would give Republicans and centrists, moderate voters who are uneasy with voting for Trump, but are not so crazy about Joe Biden, another place to go. Um, so that that struck me as the more powerful potential implication of Liz Cheney's journey now than it does what she's doing in the Republican Party. Her standing in the Republican Party is very high among the most about anti-Trump forces, but no longer so influential, I think, with the bulk of Republican voters. Well, about that potential no-labels bid, um, and that was really interesting. And in your interview with Liz Cheney, listeners, you can see Susan Page's Liz Cheney um, interview take and her article on that, of course, on the USA Today website. But if Liz Cheney is most concerned, as she says, and she seems very credible, with wanting to stop Donald Trump and the implications for democracy in the United States, for the future of uh, electoral democracy in this country, stop Donald Trump from becoming the next president of the United States, she would have to be calculating the effects of a no-labels run or any third-party uh, forum that, that you know, she might run on um, in the way that you were just describing. Would it actually hurt Trump because Republicans would vote for her? Or would it actually hurt Biden? Let's presume it'll be Biden um, because it'll be, a, you know, an alternative to him for people who don't like him but would never vote for Trump. Um, somebody's got to figure that out before no labels as a party or Liz Cheney as an individual cast their net, right? Yeah, well, let's hope. <laughs> and of course, the effect of third parties is sometimes hard to calculate. You know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you'd think he'd uh, hurt the Democrat. In fact, he's drawing a fair amount of support from, from Trump. So you don't want to be too confident about the effect of a third party um, candidacy. Um, and the no labels advocates uh, insist they have, they, they say they'll only do this if they see a path to actually winning the White House. Now, everyone else is skeptical they can do that given kind of the nature of our politics, but um, that's what they say. So you could maybe make the good faith calculation that this is the way to regain the White House with a bipartisan ticket, but it's one of the no, the no labels effort and the other multiple um, significant third party candidacies we see 
in the works for 2024 is going to make this like more like algebra than than addition, right? Or calculus. I can't actually do calculus, but let's say it makes the mm-hmm. campaign more like calculus and arithmetic. Uh, it's not just a binary choice, Republicans and Democrats. It's possible voters who are, uh, many voters are disenchanted with the choice they have. It gives them a bunch of other options to choose from. Do you think, and I've heard a leader of a no labels movement say this, do you think they really believe that they could put up a candidate who would win the presidency, actually get, you know, the electoral votes, not just some meaningful minority in each state that doesn't give them electoral votes or doesn't certainly give them enough electoral votes. Do you think they really believe it? So they they say they believe it. uh, And they have done a lot of polling that they um, present to try to make the case that it's not impossible. But it is, I think the whole, the rest of the political world is really skeptical about it. Beth? In Westchester, you're on WNYC with Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Hi, Beth. Hi there. Um, I had a question. I am a Democrat, and I registered myself as a Republican last week so I can vote in the primary. And I'm wondering if there's ever been a successful movement in Democrats re-registering themselves so they can vote against a certain candidate. Susan, so we've Beth, heard that candidate is. Go ahead, yeah. Susan. Go ahead. Beth, thanks, thanks, thanks for your call. You know, it's it's hard to get significant number. It's hard enough to get people to vote, much less to to switch their party registration because of some kind of strategy. One thing that we are watching for in New Hampshire in the New Hampshire primary, uh, where independents can vote in either primary. Um, is since there's not really a big contest uh, on the Democratic side, and in fact, Joe Biden isn't on the ballot there because uh, Democrats don't recognize the primary as uh, legitimate for purposes of choosing delegates. So there's not a big, there's not really a contest on the Democratic side that independents and Democrats will choose to vote in the Republican primary and help those who are opposing Donald Trump. Um, and there, so, you know, some, sometimes in New Hampshire, we've seen that had some effect when when one side has a really active contest and the other side doesn't, that independent New Hampshire voters tend to go to the primary that's more interesting. Uh, and that's one reason New Hampshire has such a potential for long shots and for people who are not the dominant front runner in the contest because they can kind of catch fire uh, and and do well because of the mix of the electorate. And it's also, New Hampshire also has pretty independent-minded people uh, generally, um, which makes them, um, you know, uh, more interesting to watch. Biden and the Middle East. Um, it continues to be such a horror show in Gaza. I mean, there are no words. And... Um, from what we hear just in the last few days, and again, for people not following the news closely over the holiday weekend, uh, from what I'm seeing, Susan, Biden continues to implore Netanyahu to go down a, a, a de-intensifying path of the way the war is being fought to still try to get Hamas, but save more civilian lives, many more civilian lives, hopefully. Um, 
And Netanyahu, in a public speech the other day, blew him off. He, he went down to Gaza, I believe, on Christmas Day and, and came back and, you know, gave a speech before the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, and said, nope, we're going to be intensifying the war, is basically what he said. And it's going to go on for months more. Uh, and yet the United States is vocally, uh, publicly supporting the war by the United States, I mean President Biden, and continuing to fund the war and give a lot of weapons to the war and argue for more funding for the war. That's what he might make the uh, compromises on the border in pursuit of. Is, is Biden conflicted about this more than we're hearing? Well, and I, I think initially Biden, President Biden's uh, reaction to the events of October 7th was total and complete support for Israel. He's been a supporter of Israel for many years as a, as a senator from Delaware uh, and as vice president. Um, but I think this issue has become one of more conflict within the administration uh, because of Israel's actions against Gaza that have put so many women and children and aid workers and journalists uh, at risk. Uh, the, the record number of, of journalists being killed in Gaza uh, by Israeli attacks not to mention all those, all the civilians that we see um, uh, and the devastation there. So I, th I think the administration is now frustrated by the unwillingness of top Israeli officials to take seriously their argument that they need to do more to protect civilian lives, to allow aid to go through, and to think about a in-game strategy of what's going to happen in Gaza when the war eventually is over. Um, the Israeli, Israeli officials so far have not paid very much attention to these arguments that they have heard from a series of U.S. officials, including the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor and the Defense Secretary and the CIA Director. Um, this is, Israel is now, uh, the United States is, of course, continues to be Israel's strongest supporter, but Israel and the United States on this issue are increasingly isolated in the in the whole world uh, for for the the fact that this war is being pursued in a way that puts so many civilians at risk. But Biden doesn't seem to be considering any consequences for Israel of refusing to follow his entreaties to uh, <clears throat> follow a less less intense. Um, I think that's the word, right? Is de-intensifying? There's a word like that 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 the administration is using. I think um, more more, tar more targeted attacks, uh, more uh, you know, ones directed more directly at Hamas. Uh, not this this block to block devastation we've seen, even in uh, even in now most recently in a place that had been designated by Israel as a safe zone. So none of. None of that is no policy changes on the horizon, as far as you could tell. Well, so far as I can tell, I don't see a withdrawal of support for Israel. Um, and I mean, I guess the route that would take would be um, to cut back on military assistance. I haven't heard any talk about that. Uh, so, so no, but this is, you know, on the list of tough problems uh, that. The United States faces and the president faces this would definitely be toward the top of that list. Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. 
Again, thanks a lot for some working time here on the holiday week. Happy New Year to you. We'll talk to you in 2024. Hey, thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.